Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When we take control of our lives and our destiny, we're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Storm Boris are coming and he's a nasty devil. They've, not only have we got an orange weather warning for County Cork from early morning to tomorrow morning, we've got a red offshore weather warning for off the coast. I'll go into more detail on that in a while. I know the council and everybody connected with emergency services around town are preparing. We'll catch up with them later on in the hour. But Storm Barra, he's a coming and he's an angry devil. So he's going to really mess up tomorrow. I would strongly advise if anyone is decorating the house, do not put Santi on the roof until at least Wednesday afternoon because he'll be in the next parish. So hold off on the outside decorations. If you have any out, make sure that they're well tied down. Make sure your garden furniture is tied down because this is a nasty one that's coming upon us tomorrow. More on it as we go through. Also, do you want to go see Elton John? In Parky Cueve next summer, I have tickets all this week. Pair of tickets every day with our good friends at Aiken Promotions. Give you a pair of tickets for Elton John at Parky Cueve every day this week. How do you win them? I'll tell you in a while. I'll tell you in a while. 1850-715-996. Good morning. This man's been writing over the weekend in the examiner asking a question. How have we let ourselves sleepwalk into such a vulnerable position as regards COVID-19? He says we have allowed ourselves to be misled with palatable, often attractive falsehoods. And it's now time to say it like it is. Now, you've been doing that for over a year and a half, Professor Jerry Killeen, but you... You did write about this as early as August and you did warn about a fourth wave back in May. I know you don't like being proved right, Jerry, but you have been again. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very well, sir. Uh, you don't like being proved right, but you have been again. Yeah, yeah. No, I was. Um, I guess we all got our hopes up that uh, you know, we could all get back to normality and, you know... Um, you know, but but unfortunately, the kind of the basic sums proved to be correct, and and we are where we are, and um, yeah, and it's 
it's uh, I think it's just it's time we finally learn to just be objective about these things. And I know I'd also like to see the science journalists of Ireland finally kind of stand up and be counted. Yeah. You said in a, an examiner piece at the weekend, you said we have allowed ourselves to be misled with palatable, often attractive falsehoods. Sounds like you're saying we're the victims of populism here. Yeah, and and you know, outright fibs. So, you know, I mean, I can, I can show, give anybody the links to papers in the World Specs journals going back to late 2020 showing totally unambiguously that that all educational sectors contribute substantially to transmission of COVID. So, you know, the jury was out on that scientifically for, has been out on that for over a year. So, so why is our national narrative centered around, you know, kind of he said, she said, uh, you know, around anybody, you know, the opinions of anybody who called themselves a, a doctor? You know, we have the internet. People can access this information. Mm. So I, I think we need to start asking ourselves questions as to why are we not up to speed on, you know, modern international science? Were we gaslit about the schools? Absolutely. Mm. Like it's rampant in them now, Jerry. And more people I talked to just over the weekend, talking to people I know and just reaching out to people, people who'd normally be nowhere near a radio programme, just people who'd, who'd know kids in school and have kids in school. The schools are riddled with COVID-19. So how do we solve that problem? Well, you know, we've got to, I guess we've got to knuckle down. I think it's um, it's a bit like, uh, you know, if you were trying to get across the Atlantic in a balloon, um, you know, and you start losing height, you don't always throw out the heaviest thing first because that might be me, for example. You know, you throw out things in order of priority. So even things that make small contributions to transmission but are low priority, those are the first things you, you throw out. So, um, you know, for me, the last thing on earth we would throw out of the building would be schools being open. It would be kids having their, the, you know, something like their normal developmental um, opportunities and fun, you know. Uh, so there's lots of stuff that we can keep. I'm just thrilled to see my kids playing sports outdoors, enjoying team sports, having a bit of crack. And I, you know, I, I just think that's the last thing we should be throwing out of the balloon. And there's lots of other stuff we can throw out that is, is not a human right, is not vital. And even if it makes a small difference, if it helps us, you know, reel this one back in, um, then that's what we've got to do. And unfortunately, because, you know, this one didn't just explode on us suddenly. We, we, we watched it steadily grow and grow and grow instead of correcting our mistakes we just double down on the our authorities double down on the fibs that they've sold us and um, and so we've dug ourselves into a much deeper hole than we needed to and unfortunately you know so there's going to have to be sacrifices made to get ourselves out of that position um you know we're in we're in a pretty sorry state even with delta we don't know what really know what's coming with omicron so, you know, for me, it's, again, it's time for action, and, and that means today. Now, on Friday, uh, the Taoiseach announced uh, changes in the nighttime economy, uh, curfew in the restaurants, nightclubs closing, etc., etc. We don't need to repeat all of that. I think, Jerry, the layman's question over the weekend, and this is very strictly a layman's question, we know now that it's rampant in the schools, and we know that the biggest cohorts are the five to 15-year-olds in terms of daily infections. We also, another, another big cohort is their parents and families, by the way. 
But the layman's question is, why does putting limits on the nighttime economy and possibly costing an awful lot of jobs, why is that going to help the schools? Because if it if it helps tip the balance to where you're, um, but everything's joined up. You know, it's not that nightclubs are a separate transmission system from from the schools or their parents. Everything joins up. Everything makes a contribution, and we have to make some choices about, you know, which which ballast we throw out of the balloon. And um, you know, schools are a major contributor, but in terms of societal priority, you know, which is most important to us is it the nightclubs, the pubs, the, you know, the, the social activity for adults, all of us are fully grown and responsible for ourselves, or is it our children and is it the schools? Yeah. And um, it's, it's about choices, it's about priorities, and it's, you know, it's easy to blame politicians, but ultimately they give us what we want. So this is, this is about societal values and priorities, and you know, the first place, if we, if we want to look for it to hold somebody responsible, we've all got what can we do? I'm totally thrilled by the response of the vast majority of the Irish people. Yeah, we've made the decision, you know, even though this has been lumped back on top of us all as personal responsibility, the vast majority of people in this country have been doing the right things. And, you know, essentially, a lot of these activities are shutting themselves down because they're non viable. A lot of poor folks in the entertainment industry, they're just having to cancel gigs because they're not viable anymore. So, in reality, our societies have made decisions that, that our government declined. Mm. And, you know, that just says so much. I'm so proud of the Irish people to still be demanding testing. I mean, one of the things I've been really worried about, uh, you know, with this whole mitigation strategy and the yo-yo thing is that we'd all run out of puff. And, yeah. and people are still doing their best. And that's really something I'm very proud of. Yeah. It's hard though, and and getting harder, and people are sick and tired of it. I, you're very critical of tracing. We're not tracing enough, or not tracing deep enough, and haven't been for quite some time. Mainly because the system's completely overloaded. Absolutely, and you can't blame public health for that. You know, there's um, outbreak, con- you know, investigation, containment's a big, big job. Um, I was really impressed when our public health system got to the stage where they could handle hundreds of cases a day. Once we went over 600, um, the you know the pump room flooded, um, and we've just been scraping the Titanic along the side of the iceberg since. Yeah. And to to be celebrating, you know, pseudo stability at a level of thousands of detected cases a day and thousands more missed is a very poor reflection on you know what we've been willing to accept as a as a as a pandemic response strategy. Mm. You know, this is, and, you know, key port, I think a key concept that people have been sold to that I really need to put a pin in that balloon is this idea that it will all come to an end sooner or later because that's not the lived reality of billions of people on this planet who do have to live with high virulence pathogens. You know, it just, so, you know, this is probably a taste of what living with the virus will look like indefinitely on at least an intermittent basis every few years yeah. if we continue to, 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 to stick with this strategy and if we don't have the courage to change our minds. There's much talk uh, of late, Jerry, about endemicity and it becoming endemic that, you know, we're just going to have to accept 
that this is with us for a very, very long time in whatever form it finally stops flipping mutating, if it ever does. And we just need to learn to deal with that. Yeah, well, I've kind of done that thing, uh, you know, for more than one passage. It's, um, that's a really highly overrated choice. Um, for, for many people around the world, endemicity means that for several months a year, hospitals are totally overwhelmed or that once every few years they get just totally flooded with an outbreak of something like dengue or cholera. You know, so those things, endemicity is not always this happy picture. Um, as you know, we, we don't have that experience uh, here in Ireland. You know, we haven't had that for a couple of generations. But for well, for do we not have the flu? Is the flu not endemic? These things do happen. The flu is endemic, um, but you know that the flu wouldn't be up there as a high high virulence pathogen. Sure, it wouldn't be sure. up there with uh, some of the the lesser, <laughs> the, the even less pleasant things. And um, you know, but malaria is endemic. HIV is endemic. TB is endemic. Dengue cholera, there's a whole bunch of things out there and they span a whole spectrum. An endemic can mean anything. It can range from the common cold through to something like HIV, which has, you know, just a catastrophic impact on society. Indeed, indeed. And while we hear about mutations in the virus and, you know, your your area of expertise is how pathogens move around and pathogens change. So there's some talk coming out of South Africa now that Omicron while it is moving like wildfire, it's transmitting like wildfire, it may not be as pathogenic as even Delta was, which which is a positive. Would you be encouraged by what we're hearing already? I, I wouldn't, and I would be inclined to take that bait. You know, that is possible. Uh, you know, pathogens do take on those evolutionary trajectories, and sometimes they take on lots of different ones at the same time, and then you're dealing with you're actually dealing with several different pathogens with, with different strategies. So that is possible. Uh, however, um, the likelihood that is the case is is probably small. Um, the I I would, certainly wouldn't bet my house on it. Mm. And in any case, virulence is not the, the 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 factor that worries me most. So you know we've got three new issues we've got to think about with with Omicron. For me, virulence is the least worrisome about them because, uh, you know, much more virulent pathogens are don't pose the same risk because because we can contain them. So, um, virulent pathogens sometimes they're easier to contain than than the non-virulent pathogens. Uh, but what what will actually drive, you know, the most important factor driving hospitalization is is transmissibility and then when we have vaccines it's the or or prior immunity through exposure it's the ability to evade, evade existing immune responses and that latter factor seems to be the i guess the the most worrisome aspect about um omicron mm. it's, we, it's um, i suppose we won't know that for several weeks yet will we we've got a pretty good We've got a pretty good idea, you know, where on the parameter space map this virus fits. And it may well be within the range of transmissibility, you know, intrinsic transmissibility of the existing variants, which means it is containable um, with all the stuff we, we, we know and don't love so much. But where it looks to be out of the range from the existing variants is in terms of its ability to, 
to break through immunity to um, based on prior infection. Now, what that translates to in terms of um, the the loss of efficacy we'll see in our vaccines that remains to be seen, but it's it's extremely unlikely to be zero. Right. You know, so we're going to take a hit on that. It's probable that that will put what's called a herd immunity threshold out of reach, which means you know, which means it'll take more than vaccines to get us out of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the airborne nature of it, initially we thought it was only coughing and droplets. Now we know it's it's airborne, which is an even harder one to deal with. It seems though that you know airborne, the airborne nature of this, even as high up as the WHO, they don't seem to be taking it as seriously as they should. CDC again, like with, what's their problem with putting HEPA filters in all the classrooms? I totally agree. And this is a classic case of you know, all across the board at national and global level, policymakers making early mistakes and then, you know, spending too long trying to figure out how to to wiggle out of those without losing face. And um, and you know, bottom line is, you know, the Chinese started recommending masks, um, you know, within a month of the initial outbreak. It was the first thing George Gao said from the Chinese CDC said the biggest mistake we'll make the rest of the world is is to be slow to pick up on masks. Um, you know, I can remember still some of the really very early reports from China of the role of air conditioning in in outbreaks uh, in, within restaurants. Uh, so the whole airborne nature of this has been on the table right from the outset. Um, and, you know, again, I just appeal to people who have their hands on the levers that, you know, have the courage to change your mind. Uh, there's nothing wrong with an honest U-turn. Yeah. But, um, you well, know, doubling well, down on, on things that we knew were wrong is not helping anybody. Well, to quote Gay Bourne, of all people, Jerry, in this context, he used to say, the man who never changed his mind never changed anything. Maybe maybe some of our leaders need to, to take that one on board. Was it just lucky that Omicron was found? Was it just some brilliant scientist happened to be lucky? Or is there an ongoing search for variants? Is it, are we good enough at that? Yeah, we've got a pretty good... Well, patchy. It's patchy around the world. Um, it's certainly... Globally, we've got some pretty good surveillance. There's obviously large gaps, and there's large gaps where it matters most. There's large gaps in, in Africa. There's large gaps in some of the other low-income countries distributed around the world. But most of the time we're picking things up, you know, um, we, it's as good as we could reasonably expect. You know, there, there's, there's things that we could reasonably expect of the poor folks working away in the labs and the clinics and the swabbing sites. And then, you know, but it's not a substitute for decision-making. It's not a substitute for, for foresight. And I always say that, you know, surveillance and reaction is a very poor substitute for foresight and preemptive responses. Mm. So, um, yeah, we've got to we've got to stop relying on the safety net and start, you know, walking our way across this tightrope to the other side. Yeah, here's a question comes in from John in Cove, Jerry, and I wanted to to put it to you. He said, "When this whole pandemic started, we were told children were safe as houses, that they didn't get sick and they didn't transmit. Now all of a sudden, they must mask up and get vaccinated. They're brainwashing children into taking the vaccine. Why should this all be believed?" 
Um, well, I can understand the frustration and around the world. It's not just an Irish problem. We have a problem with authorities that have been forced to flip their views. And that's very understandable with the public, you know, hear two different things, totally opposite from the same person. And then, you know, ask themselves, how credible is this? So the only thing I could say is to, well, if we just look at the science internationally and, you know, that's all available openly on the internet and all the big journals, um, they, all the papers include uh, researching context boxes, which basically give a kind of a shorthand take-home message for the general public and for for journalists. Um, and I, I'm really disappointed how journalists have not used those 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 public communication things. And it's very clear for us that um, you know that kids are affected by COVID, and they certainly transmit it, mm-hmm. and they certainly contribute to the transmission system. Um, you know, I put out. I put out evidence summaries on this, you know, as early as the, you know, the start of this year. Um, it's not really open for scientific debate. And I would say, don't be distracted from all the, by all the, he said, she said, we have in a kind of a parochial way here in Ireland, international, the evidence is out there. It's very okay. clear. And if you're frustrated, I really, I'm, I'm with you. Lastly, Jerry, someone has asked me to put this question to you. Um, given that you are uh, part of the, the teaching community at UCC, how did you feel about the Christmas parties in the pubs a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I wasn't thrilled to be, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, yeah, I was far away at the time, so I didn't yeah. hear much about that. Um, I, I was doing my regular work in Tanzania and... Yeah, no, and, and that's one of the things I've found, you know, personally I've found enormously frustrating, right? One of the things that excites me most is the opportunity at UCC to work with young people who are keen to change the world and open to learn. And in since I've joined UCC, I've actually, face-to-face, I've, I've met five students and I've walked into an empty building uh, often, but on my way there, I, I walk past, or on my way home, I walk through past Washington Street and I find the pubs filled. And then I realized that you know, those of us who, you know, who are trying our best to keep this thing, you know, suppressed and ideally contain it and eliminate it, then that all gets blown by, um, by, by the actions of others. And, and so I'm, I'm just done with personal responsibility. We've either got to do everything together or, you know, it's just, you know, otherwise all of us who are trying our best, our families are paying the price for okay. folks okay. who aren't playing ball on a societal level. Jerry, it's it's good to catch up and we will do that again many times, I hope. Uh, Dr. Jerry Killeen, Professor Jerry Killeen is the AXA Research Chair in Applied Pathogen Ecology based at UCC. Jerry, thanks. 1850-715-996. As I remind you once again with regard to Jerry Killeen, so some people don't like hearing him on the show. He's perfectly aware of that. Jerry Killeen's been right an awful lot more than he's been wrong in the last year and a bit. Thanks, Jerry. 1850-715-996. Right, there's a nasty storm coming. Let's look at it next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Right, Tim, I know you've got to run that pretty island ferry. Um, good morning. How worried are you about 
this storm that's coming in. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yeah, it looks it looks a bit nasty, all right. Um, to not so long since we had a storm, though, I suppose. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, we're not used to them. Um, yeah, yeah, but you look, you know, you just have to get out with it. Um, we've had some great weather all the time along. Um, one of the main things we'd be worrying about here, you know, in, well, around Tweedy and Bench, would be the town of Bench, because high tide is at around 6 o'clock. And, uh, no, it's, it, it won't be as high as it was the last couple of days, but, you know, flooding in the town is a concern, and then, you know, you, you wait till the morning, you make a decision whether you'll, whether you'll run the ferry or not and see how yeah. the weather is, you know. Um, like, can, can you run in an orange warning and more specifically because there seems to be a, a coastal red warning for tomorrow. Can you run in a red warning? No, we wouldn't. No, it wouldn't be. Um, you know, we're relatively sheltered inside in, in the harbour here. But our big problem, then, of course, is trying to get people on and off the boat safely. So you'd have to take all that into account. Right. And um, no, you wouldn't. Not in a red warning, no. It right. wouldn't, uh, just wouldn't be safe to do it. Yeah, and the, 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 what we've got is we've got the orange wind warning for the whole county and then the marine from Mizzenhead to Loophead to Slight, how they do that, that that's likely yeah. to be home. So would that would that red come into your area? It would, it would, yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, we were, I'm watching now the last couple of days and, and um, it, it it has actually, you know, sometimes they forecast the game three or four days ahead and it doesn't materialize, but it seems to be getting stronger now as it gets getting nearer. It does. It, it does. So, yeah, yeah we we'll just have to batten down the hatches and, and make sure that we can dial the boats are tied up securely. And okay. Right. That's, that's what you do. You just batten down the hatches and get out of it. Time, time, to, time to prepare is everything, and we've had that. Tim, thank you very much. That's Tim from Whitty Island Ferry. I'll let you get going because he has to take that ferry out uh, this morning. Thank you, Tim. Uh, David Joyce, Director of Operations at Cork City Council. Now, the City Council has a committee which meets at times like this to plan. So I take it that you're meeting already, if not today, later today, David. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, we actually met uh, last week while we were tracking this. We met both Saturday and Sunday mornings as well. And uh, we attended national briefings and briefings with Met Aaron that we uh, dialed in to understand exactly what is happening with this uh, particular storm. So Storm Barra is the first big storm to hit us of the 2021-2022 winter season. It is a very, very significant storm, um, but it is off the west coast. Um, but because of the size of the storm, it is going to affect uh, Cork City, um, mainly on Tuesday, for the entire day Tuesday. Mm. There's actually um, three separate effects of this particular storm that's going to affect the city um, over the next uh, two days. Uh, the first one is, uh, as, as you know, we're in the middle of a series of spring tides. Yeah. Uh, and with the extra storm surge caused by the uh, strong winds associated with the storm, um, we are going to experience the usual low-lying keys in the city centre are going to experience tidal flooding tomorrow morning. And the exact quantum of tidal flooding is, is a little uncertain at this point in time because the storm is moving around a little, as are the winds. The winds on Saturday and Sunday were southeast. They've now backed to south, which is good from, from our perspective. Mm. Um, but high tide is at 7.24 a.m. on Tuesday morning. So we expect there could be keys um, with flooding on them from about 7 a.m. until about 8 a.m. So that's the first effect. The second effect then is heavy rain. There is very heavy rain associated with this storm system. So in a six-hour period between 6 a.m. on Tuesday and 12 noon on Tuesday, we could get up to 16 millimetres of rain. Uh, so what that will mean is there will be potentially dangerous driving conditions. So you may have debris washed onto roads or you may have spot flooding on roads. 
caused by the extremely heavy rains, we would ask people during that time frame of early Tuesday morning until lunchtime on Tuesday to drive with extreme care uh, on back roads in particular around the city and to expect the unexpected. And I suppose finally, unfortunately, there is a third effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you would have seen, there is uh, orange and red warnings further to the west for wind. So there is going to be very, very strong winds associated with this storm um, system. Uh, and those will actually last for a full 24 hours starting at 6 a.m. Tuesday morning and going to 6 a.m. Wednesday morning. So again, we would ask people to make sure that your belongings and home or work are all tied down and secured and taken in if they can be. And again, driving conditions could be hazardous if trees are blown down or branches are blown off trees or debris is blown onto the road. So that is a full 24-hour warning for the entirety of Tuesday until Wednesday morning. It's it's a nasty one that is a common. It's likely to knock down trees. It's likely to put power out. And it could particularly tomorrow morning, I suggest, David, flood inner city business premises. Is that is that a likelihood? We're, we're hopeful not. No, we're hoping that it's only going to be the keys um, that are, are flooded. As I said, it is a little uncertain at present. Um, these types of storms are like kids' spinning tops. So while they spin around, they also wander as they go across the floor. So as this is coming towards us, is wandering north and south. So depending how far south it comes, the impacts will be greater. So we have further meetings this morning at 10 o'clock with um, the National uh, Department of Fire and Emergency Management. We have our own flood assessment team meeting again this morning at 11, and we're meeting again with Meta Aaron at 12. So at, by lunchtime today, we should have better information because every three hours, Met Aaron and the OPW run their weather and surge models. So the data is continually refined as the storm comes closer to us. So I would advise members of the public to keep an eye on our Twitter accounts and our social media, we will be putting information up on those mm. and we'll also be using the Cork City Now app to alert people uh, later this afternoon. I take it it wouldn't hurt businesses to be prepared just in case anyway when they head home this evening. But also in terms of a lot of people, I was mentioning this in the start of the programme, David, a lot of people have outdoor Christmas decorations there. They plan to put them up or they already have them up. You know, garden furniture is, is still out. Tie stuff down, take it in, in fact. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, there are very, very significant uh, winds associated with this uh, particular storm. Um, Cork, all of County Cork, including the city, is under an orange um, wind alert. Further west, the, the marine areas and the coastal areas of, of Kerry and, and, the, and some other southern Atlantic seaboard counties are under a red warning. So yes, this is going to be quite significant when it comes to a wind event, as well as being a very, very wet event and, and, and tidal flooding. So it's kind of a, a three-pronged attack, unfortunately. Winter is arriving with fury. Thank you, at uh, David Joyce, Director of Operations at Cork City Health. If there are any developments when they meet, or if anything changes in terms of predictions, we'll certainly bring them to you. So the things to be wary of tomorrow morning, high tide at 7.24 will probably flood the Keys. Very heavy rain all day tomorrow and high winds all day tomorrow. Nasty one coming, lads. Very nasty one. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie we're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM Music Panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this.
Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Uh, Jerry on Jerry Killeen call us as his last few sentences uh, say it all and has been the issue since the start. Personal responsibility in many quarters is... Uh, zero. WhatsApp message you love having Jerry on the show. I notice you don't talk much about John Campbell anymore. Well, you couldn't be more wrong. I have a clip of him coming up. But anyway, is it because he's covering vaccine adverse events in young people now? Well, we just actually do have a clip of him coming up uh, shortly. And with regard to the vaccine adverse events in young people, he was explaining that nearly a year ago when he said they should be aspirating the syringes. And they didn't aspirate the syringes. And he came across data a number of weeks ago to show a a link, or to suggest at least a link, between not aspirating the syringe and possible adverse events. So we've been following John Campbell since day one. Actually, don't I will do. I'll play you his latest clip that we've had because John has been analysing data from the uh, Pretoria area from the Steve Biko Memorial Hospital in Pretoria. Now this was the data I referred to and I was asking Jerry about it a while ago. Now Jerry isn't overly optimistic with regard to this data, but John has been analysing it in his own particular way and we know that John Campbell does not make predictions easily or loosely. When he does, he bases it on the data and the figures in front of him and when he does, he can usually stand over it. I'd remind you that it was John Campbell who told us on this programme as early as April that it would probably end up being a three-dose vaccine. So we take this man very seriously. John Campbell, in his latest video, has been looking at data from the Steve Biko Hospital and the surrounding region in Pretoria. This data from South Africa is very encouraging. Most patients are not requiring... Uh, additional oxygen. Most patients are not oxygen dependent. The oxygen demand is way, way lower than in the previous waves. The patients are getting out of hospital quicker. The patients are um, uh, not requiring high levels of care and most of them were picked up incidentally. So what this means is our initial hope that Omicron, while it's massively contagious and is taking off in South Africa and will take off around the world, that is happening. Um, But our hope was that because it's so good at a lot of the genetic variation is kind of used up, as it were, to make it more transmissible, there's less left for for, for making it more pathogenic. And that is looking like it is. It is looking like it is the case. It's looking promising. Now, what this means is the Omicron variant will, I believe, spread all around the world. As people are exposed to it, they will generate uh, immunity that is specific to the Omicron variant. It looks like people are going to have very minimal disease. Now, because there's so many, because there's going to be so much Omicron everywhere, all at the same time over the next few months, that could mean that, of course, a proportion of people, as we saw in South Africa, will be admitted to hospital. But this should be within manageable levels. 
and the patients we are hoping are not going to be too sick and we would expect mortality. While it might not be absent, uh, we would expect it to be much lower. But that would be the price that would be paid for massive herd immunity developing really quickly, which would essentially be the end of the pandemic. So he's making a tentative prediction that based on what he is seeing, and that's a long video, that's maybe 30 minutes, that video in total. He's making a tentative prediction based on what he's seeing that Omicron could actually burn out the pandemic. Now, as as Jerry Killeen said, he could be right. He could be wrong. The data could be right. The data could be wrong. But that's where we are with John Campbell at the moment. Uh, but thank you for recusing us of not using him anymore. We, we, we love to prove people wrong that way. We are all this week on The Opinion Line, giving you a chance to go and see Elton John at Parky Cueve, Friday, 1st July. Our friends at Aiken Promotions have given us a pair of tickets every day this week to see the Farewell Yellow Brick Road, the final tour. Going to play you a quick snatch of an Elton John song. I'll play it a couple of times. It's a very quick snatch of an Elton John song. Play it a couple of times. You text or WhatsApp the name of the song and your name to 083 396 and we'll pick one winner at the end of the show. Alright, you need to name that song. A scary headline in the Echo this morning which reads Some Cork children turning to drug dealing to feed gaming and gambling addictions and that some of them are as young as 12. Youth worker and former Lord Mayor Chris O'Leary. Chris, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How that's are a, you? That's a bit scary, Chris. 12-year-olds dealing drugs to, play, to, to, to pay for gambling addictions? Yeah, well, I, I suppose it's, uh, it, it, it is something that has been bubbling up for a while now, to be honest about it, um, PJ. It's come across my my um, pat on a number of times over the last um, six months. In particular, I've seen an increase in, um, I suppose, cries for help from parents and and and, um, and how to deal with the issue. And, and it, it started off really as, as a gaming problem, yeah. Explain to me what a loot box is, because they're becoming a real problem. Yeah, I suppose anybody that's that, that's into gaming would know quite clearly. Basically, what what it is is that um, it's a virtual thing, really, in many respects. So you have certain games that offer you, um, you know, products, virtual products, or you know, um, to be the best or to wear the best. It, sometimes it can be it can, it, it's a virtual item. It could it could be like clothes. It could be equipment. It could be whatever to fight, um, or to play or buy players in in certain soccer games and stuff like that. And basically. Um, um, you pay literally. It costs it costs money to buy these items, and the more you spend, the more your ranking goes up, and the more the more uh, I suppose influential you become as well at times. Yeah, right. And they are drawing people into debt. It is. It is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a, cl- a classic, a classic um, scenario there is where you know a child might say to the parents, oh, "Look, I, 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 I want to buy something on 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 online there for my game and stuff like that," and and parents might give them the the, the, the car details or give them the card and and, and to go and purchase it, and that's fine. That's that, that's a once off, but. Unknowns to parents is that all that information is then stored on their laptops and or on their gaming machine, and then what happens is that it becomes an endless 
I must buy this, I must have that. Um, and, and it's very addictive. And, and that's that's the whole nature of, of, of the beast, really, in many respects. And then with, without knowing it, the whole thing has got out of control. And in some cases, I suppose, you know, we, we, we go back to the question that you asked earlier. In some cases, then what happens is that, uh, you know, where, where they might have got a, a gift card or they might have got stuff, they, they then turn to other means to feed the habit as well. And in, in some cases, that that is, you know, young youngsters are offered, you know, new games or, or, or even even vouchers or credit cards, you know, these these vouchers cards, mm-hmm. um, if they do if if they do if they do a run or do a pass on yeah. and, and 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 just just become the mule um, for 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 and and you spoke to one very worried parent, I think, who'd actually found drugs in his child's bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, the 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 parent became quite quite concerned about um, the, the the amount of new 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 stuff and um, that the child was was, was um, able to have and purchase and stuff like that. And uh, no, noticed that the child was going out a lot late at night and, and stuff like that. And then um, when confronted the child, then um, you know where was going the child child wouldn't say. So when the child went out, the, the parents went to the bedroom and uncovered. Um, a stash of drugs, yeah. And when confronted, the child said that 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 he, in particular, um, need, need, needed to earn money. To, you know, he wanted to spend money, he needed to earn money, so that was his way of earning money. Right. Where, do, uh, where, where and, does and a worried I, parent go, Chris, if they come across something like that? Yeah. The first, the first thing I'd always say to, to parents at this stage is that you know we we've got great people in our communities, right? Right across all communities, really. They're they're there, and um, you might know them until till you actually knock knock at the door, um, and that would be youth workers. You have local youth workers who who can give great support, great help, and 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 they they also what we what we would do in many respects is signpost you to the most um, I suppose the most uh, the most um, crisis intervention kind of need that that, that arises. Good. We, we can signpost and, and and get people in into services. The the key thing here is that you know we're we're trying to make parents aware. A lot of parents mightn't be aware of this. Sure. Um, it, it, it is a growing problem right across, not just Ireland, across Europe, across the world. Certain countries have banned the loot boxes. That's right. That's right. Belgium have, I think, and others. One last thing, Chris, that would come into any parent's mind um, is mm. we know how nasty drug dealers can become. Yes, yes, yes. And that yes, would that yes. would fill any parent's head with fear. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and again, again, my 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 knowledge would be that um, you know, in some cases, when when parents have tried to make an intervention, prevent the child from from from, especially you know, working on behalf of these 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 people, um, the parents uh, the, have got a knock on the door from some of these um, these people and uh, warning them off, let the child do what the child is doing, otherwise we'll we'll bring it down on you. Wow. Okay, I suppose that's the time to call the Gardaí. But your your local community youth worker is a good starting point. Chris O'Leary is indeed a youth worker and former Lord Mayor. Thank you very much, Chris. 1850-715-996. Scary, scary, scary. Loot boxes. I wouldn't have known anything about it. My kids, my, my son plays a few video games, but nothing to that extent. Um, and I loot loot boxes. If you hear any child talking about a loot box or hear any discussion of loot boxes, be on your guard. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. <laughs>
The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. A call from Councillor Ted Tynan. He said there was an ambulance called to a home recently of a primary school child. They found him slumped at the kitchen table unconscious. His breathing was okay, but there was something unusual. And the paramedics observed about a line's worth of cocaine up his nose while they were examining him. This is a primary school child. On UCC, someone on the phone saying, I don't think enough people know about UCC still having in-person exams and in-person lectures in some topics. Coming up to Christmas, these should be moved off-site and online because the students will transfer it onto multi-generational family gatherings. And Kate was on to us about ventilation. She said, I was up at the school there. The place was absolutely freezing. It's not good enough to just have the windows open. Also, I was on the bus over the weekend and every window was open and everyone was freezing. We need to get our act together and put in proper ventilation because after all proper ventilation means a lot more than just having windows open if we've not learned that at this stage there's no hope for us but over the week or over the last few days there was interesting confrontation shall we call it between Neffet i.e. Professor Philip Nolan of Neffet and experts on HEPA filters and HEPA filtration. In fact, Professor John Wenger, who's the chairperson of the expert group on the role of ventilation, has said not every classroom in the country needs an air filter, but many could benefit. This was a group specifically set up to advise government on the role that ventilation can play. And HEPA filters would play a huge role in cleaning the air in our classrooms and might not required the children to be sitting there in their coats, freezing, with the windows open. Now, Stephen Donnelly was on primetime last week. Of course, all of his colleagues now watch him every time he goes out. They watch him through their fingers. But he was talking about a group called AMRIC, uh, which was pointed out to him on the programme that pretty much everyone else disagrees with. With AMRIC. Now, uh, Professor John Sado. Professor of Physical Chemistry at UCC joins me. John, you are a colleague of of, uh, Dr. Wenger's and talk to me a little bit about HEPA filters. I know that it's not just a matter of wheeling one in and plugging it in. You have to install it properly. But how useful could they be in our classrooms? Good morning. Well, John is is absolutely right, PJ, in in the first place. And uh, why there's been this debate uh, almost a pseudo-scientific debate from the politician's side is something that I, I don't really understand. We all know uh, over the last year we've worked through that we, we need masks for our face, we need vaccinations, uh, and, and, and we need also filtration for our rooms. Indoor air is important, not only because of the coronavirus, which is a, a definite addition to our casino of, of, of problems with air pollution, but because outdoor uh, air gets indoors if you've got the, the all the windows open. So you need something a, a, a bit more 
um, able to, 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 to be in the front line. And the HEPA filters, which I mean, there are many of them in, in vacuum cleaners, uh, what they are like fiberglass um, uh, face masks for, for the room. Um, and they, they pump the air in, they recirculate out, they clean up the particles that, that can carry the virus, and uh, th- th- then it's he- healthier. Um, politicians, I think, simply have so little science in their arsenal of, 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 of knowledge that, that they, they, they can't keep up. Mm. I, I was reading an article in the latter part of, of last week about HEPA filters and I also went looking up the price of them so, so you get a pretty good one I imagine for four or five hundred euro but you can't as I said just wheel it in and switch it on you have to position it correctly is that what they're maybe afraid of that people don't know how to position them correctly well I, I think many people and what we've got to get used to I think it, first of all in our domestic homes is, is to have HEPA filters, just like we have light bulbs, uh, that, that we understand that they're important. And, and I have one, and uh, yeah, I simply have it in the corner of the room. Now, when you get to much more occupational circumstances, then clearly uh, you, you, you need some, somebody to, to give full advice as for a particular room that is badly ventilated, that has, has problems in its own right. Um, yes, you need advice. But, but, but honestly, I mean... <laughs> I think the Americans worked out that it's about uh, 10 euro uh, per school child per year to put these HEPA filters in. And and, and if Michael Martin can't find the money, uh, then uh, uh, certainly a Hogwarts magical spell won't work. Yeah. Philip Nolan told a, a meeting uh, or a briefing of Neffet, a press briefing. This is Professor Nolan, the head of their modelling. He said that the devices can play our role in certain circumstances, but he said their use would not necessarily improve ventilation in settings such as schools. Is he right or is he wrong? Well, um, ventilation is, if you like, a different issue. I said the holy trinity of ventilation, uh, filtration and vaccination. And ventilation does allow, if you've got a good ventilation, you've got good throughput of air, then obviously the material, the, the air pollution in inside will be diluted. But not everywhere can do it. And you also have to be a bit beware if you're, say, your classroom or whatever is right next to a, a, a busy road or it's next to a, a person, persons who have wood-burning stoves, uh, that, you know, it, it, it can come in. Yeah. The, the outside particulate matter and the nitrogen oxides that you have yeah. can come in. Well, apart from that, else, what else can come in, John, on days like this? And I've taken so many messages and calls from parents whose children are coming home, the poor little devils, blue with the cold, sitting in classrooms all day with windows wide open. You know, would a HEPA filter, a properly installed HEPA filter, would it reduce the need for that? Uh, well, uh, uh, of course. I mean, it, it, it's bound to. I mean, it, it, it's almost like B following A in the alphabet. Is, is that if you have uh, such a thing that filters air, filters particles out that carry uh, the virus, yet alone uh, the particles themselves, like the PM two five that we often talk about coming out of diesels, um, are, are, are a problem that come in. Uh, if they can do that, the air will be cleaner. Yeah. Why do you think? And I'm asking you to speculate, I know. But why do you, why do you think that the Department of Health and, and NEFET are so 
against an idea of putting a decent HEPA filter into every classroom? I, I think you're, you're, you're somewhat right about talking about the cost, if you like, the cost of, of buying the things, the cost of, 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 of installing the things. That, that, that's, but I don't, I don't believe that that is entirely a, a valid argument because what, what cost... Uh, with with the, the the vulnerable being so potentially damaged by this, what what cost is important? And as I said, you can't get a magic spell to do mm. this. Of course, there's something else as well, John, that jumps out as a simple commercial reality. If the Department of Education, stroke Department of Health, were to secure a contract with a provider of HEPA filters, they get a whopping great discount for all the ones the schools would need. Yes, I, I, I quite honestly, I can't really see how cost is the problem. I, I yeah. gave you that sort of cost thing in America, which is ten euro per school child per year. Yeah. I can't really see that that being. But perhaps it's it's certainly possible. The politicians don't know that they're scared even of understanding what the the, the HEPA HEPA thing means because their their background in science is so minuscule. Yeah. It's high-efficiency particulate air is what it stands for. John, thank you as always. John Sado, Professor of Physical Chemistry at UCC and indeed colleague of Professor John Wenger, the chairperson of that extra group, or that expert group, rather, on the role of ventilation in combating the spread of COVID-19. They are literally ignoring the experts, the actual experts. Ten euro per child per year. That's an, no, that's an American assessment. 10 euro per child per year. So, look at your child. What age is your smallie? Seven, okay? And they're in a class of how many? 30, 28, 30 kids. So, the Department of Education or Department of Health, for 300 quid, for 300 quid could protect all of those children for a year. That's not a lot of money, really, is it? 1850 with late opening too. DesiTires.ie Download our app or c96fm.ie Courts 96FM Actually, there's an interesting tweet uh, on Dr. Alex Hoffman, if you look him up. H-U-F-F-M-A-N He, he put up a video of blowing vape now through a mask just to look at the usefulness of certain masks Definitely, a lot of them aren't word of course. Not word of course. Now, there is also the argument that wearing any mask at all is useful. But if you're going to be puffing and breathing heavily, you want to be wearing a heavier mask than the light cloth ones that most people seem to wear. Just an interesting... If you, You'll find it on Twitter. There's a video attached to it if you'd like to look at that. Another chance to hear this little bit of audio given away. Tickets to Elton John at Parky Cueve on the 1st of July 
2022. Our friends at Aiken Promotions have given us a pair of tickets every day for the Yellow Brick Road final tour. Have a snatch of an Elton John song. I want you to tell me what the song is and tell me your name. 083 396 96 96. And hang around because we will be calling somebody. And if you don't answer the phone, yeah, don't get their tickets. What is the name of that Elton John song? 1850-715-996. Fascinating legal case in the UK. Lots of people have these things now on their front doorbell. It's like an electronic doorbell. There's actually a company in the UK called Ring. I'm not too sure if they sell their products here. Uh, But there was a guy called John Woodard put these things up around his house and he ended up in court for breaching his neighbour's privacy. And because obviously if you have a CCTV attached to your electronic doorbell, then that could be a breach of GDPR. Now it all sounds a bit mad. And the Irish Data Protection Commissioner has been uh, warning about these things too. Basically what they are is they're an electronic doorbell. You put it on the door. And you can see if someone comes to you, you can actually see on your phone who's outside the door. Uh, you're, it's, it's a camera, it picks them up. It sounds like a great idea, but there are problems. Uh, William Harvey Slister joins me. William, good morning. Morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. This, a, a very useful piece of modern technology. I remember hearing a, an ad for a ring doorbell and thinking, you know what? That's a bright idea. Problematic. Yeah, they do come with their issues, um, PJ, and as you'd, you'd mentioned there, they fall under the Data Protection Act, and I suppose the key for anybody looking to install these devices or any CCTV cameras or anything is to make sure it only covers your property. So the confines of your property should only be covered by the, the doorbell camera or the CCTV, and the issues we see in the offices um, where you have them pointing on to neighbours, um, back gardens or bedrooms or whatever it might be and they do give rise to a number of complaints that the data protection commissioner as far as i understand are, are inundated with these sort of complaints and normally how they deal with these um they they will contact the individual they'll ask them to cease um if they don't um you you can be you can be prosecuted you can be fined by the data protection commissioner so it is um it is something to be very mindful of and and to be very, very careful of. If you put up, we'll talk about the, the doorbells in a sec, but CCTV, the, the most logical place you're going to shine a camera or, sh- or focus a camera is on your driveway where your car is and in your backyard. So if you can't do that, what's the point of having it at all? Or can you do it? Well, what you can do is you can point the seat the camera on your property and, and your property alone the purpose of CCTV, I suppose, is to protect your property and let people know that it's there. Um, and, you know, I suppose you don't have an interest in the road outside. Your back garden is fine. That's your property and that's covered. Um, and it, it really, it, it's not necessary to to cover the CCTV on, on the main road or a street where other people are. And, and, and that's where the difficulties arise. Yeah, like if you live in a, a busy area, you've no garden, you're just literally fronting onto the street. Could you be in trouble there? 
you you could PJ, but like w- the issues we see inside, they're more often than not they're settled very quickly, they're resolved very quickly with the the camera being moved a degree or two inward uh, to make sure just the confines of your property are um, covered and that only. Right, right. Because there was a bizarre story a couple of years ago, you may or may not remember it, William, where, where a guy had CCTV of burglars and he gave them to the guards and he got hit for data protection. It makes no sense. No, but I'd say from an enforcement point of view, like the, my dealings with the Data Protection Commissioner, it's a very pragmatic and practical approach. And uh, equally, the Gardaí take a similar view. Uh, I'd be very surprised if the Gardaí saw fit to prosecute yeah. anyone barred burglar there. Yeah. Equally, I can't imagine the Data Protection Commissioner is going to be uh, fining this individual uh, or even, uh, you know, reprimanding him in any way yes. for this, you know. On a more practical level, like if you suspect that your neighbour has a camera that's looking into your property, what can you do then? So you, you make your complaint to the Data Protection Commissioner. It's, it's the most common sort of complaint. Uh, we would see it weekly inside the Would office. you go straight to the Commissioner? Would you not just approach them first? Well, oh, well naturally, if you, if you can't approach your neighbour... That would be the the data protection commissioner is the person you contact thereafter. But of course, uh, like the data protection commission website itself, do your best to mediate. Do your best to try and resolve it with your neighbour, which in our experience is is done more often than not. Like people generally can reach consensus on this. Um, but if you can't and you're still having difficulties, you're not satisfied. The camera is. Uh, pointing, if your satisfaction is pointing to your property as opposed to your neighbours, then you should get on to the data protection commissioner. But of course, uh, try to resolve the truth, even as far as mediation before getting mm. on to the data protection commissioner if necessary. William, is this is this why they recommend, you hear the ads, is this why they recommend using a licensed installer? Absolutely. And um, you, you, you see, PJ, there's a lot of difficulties arise where these cameras are put up the cases we would see predominantly are where the cameras are installed by the people themselves and uh, that tend to give rise to a huge amount of issues mm. uh, just because the cameras are not not, not not necessarily maliciously it can be just innocently like you can you go into Aldi or into Harvey Normans or into any other number of outlets that you can buy a basic system you surely don't need to get a licensed installer to put that up to you no, well, you don't have to, and I suppose that, I suppose the point to take is is the cases we would see where difficulties arise is where people more often than not now innocently put the CCTV up, the cameras up, and they end up pointing into the neighbour's property. Gotcha. And just true, true, true innocent uh, mistake as opposed to anything else. But uh, licensed installers, of course, are aware of all the data protection regulations and sure. the act and. They will make sure to install and test it after that it's not pointing into someone else's property. Mm. And for people doing a home install, I think you encourage them to check before you put it into use, check where it's focused. And you can do it on your phone or on a a smart pad or whatever you want, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a very useful note on the data protection website. Uh, about home installation of CCTVs or the doorbell cameras, um, guidance about what you can and can't do, sort of a frequently asked questions section, which I would certainly look at if I was doing a a DIY job. Okay. Now, here's an interesting call. People are putting up floodlights outside their homes, which light up an area beyond the house, and people walking past can be seen and identified. Are you in breach of their rights? So... 
that once you're not capturing people's images, that wouldn't be falling within the data protection regulations. That, that would more be falling within nuisance, uh, where you're creating a nuisance to your neighbour. And Like uh, I've been on the show before talking about noisy neighbours yeah. and uh, just uh, lighting, if uh, over the top and too bright and shining into a room, is just the same as uh, loud music. Uh, and it's uh, it, it, you would be again trying to resolve with your neighbour in an amicable fashion, but after that you can bring a nuisance complaint to the district court if, uh, before a judge um, if it can't be resolved. Okay, all right, listen, William. Thank you, as always, uh, William Harvey, solicitor. So, if you're putting in any of these home kits, just be careful where they're focused on. Be very wary of what they're focused on. Check them before you switch them on and use them. Uh, Yeah, it's with those CCTV systems which would have three or four cameras that should be um, using a licensed installer. They recommend that you do, but you go into Aldi or Harvey Normans or any of B&Q, I'm sure they do their... And you can buy them, put them up yourself. Just be very careful of where the cameras are focused. And those doorbell cameras, which are becoming more and more popular, be, be wary of those too. Thank you, William. 1850-715-996. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is in a contravention of Article 4 of the GDPR. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Boom, boom. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. Ticket holders for tonight's Corona show at the Opera House will be happy to hear that it's going ahead. However, tomorrow night's second show has now been cancelled due to government restrictions and refunds will be soon available. Access all areas. Indie 22 has announced its headliners and first act set to play the long-running music festival next summer in Cork with Bastille, Fatboy Slim and Rudimental Live all announced so far. Weekend camping tickets are now on sale. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by mailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Lisa. On Cork's 90 
96 FM. Listeners have been in touch to say they found a 20 euro pennies gift card in Easton's Patrick Street on Saturday. If anybody lost it, they can let us know. There is a name on it. We have that name. So, look, it's a long shot. But if you had lost a, a gift card in Easton's on Saturday, and someone has found it and would like to give it back to you. And we have the name on it. So... Get in touch with us, 1850-715-996. We come towards the end of the year. It's uh, opportune to look back on various things. In fact, over the Christmas and New Year period, we'll have a daily, just an hour, uh, Rewind 21, just looking back at some of our favourite guests and stories and some of the things that you've requested to hear again from the Opinion Line. That's running from the 27th to the 31st of December, but that, that's, in, that's in the future. Also looking back on things like the political year, the Phoenix has its annual out at the moment, and as usual, it's a combination of fun and games, cartoons, and some fairly sharp political analysis. Phoenix delves deeper into some stories than other magazines and newspapers do. It sails close to the wind, shall we say. But it tends to get a lot of stuff right and tends to call stuff out in advance before the rest of the world picks up on it. So I thought I would look back and maybe forward with the editor. Paddy Prendival, editor of The Phoenix, as we look back at the political year, once again a year complicated by a pandemic. For you and your readers, what would have stood out? I I think the fact that a former Taoiseach and now Tornister, and soon again to be uh, Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, has for eight months been the subject of a Garda investigation mm-hmm. is is really quite fascinating. The Leo the Leak story. That's right. Now, and it has been reported, the media hasn't boycotted this story, but they have devoted very little examination uh, or commentary to it, perhaps legally fearful. Uh, um, but, you know, you can be careful writing about this stuff. Well, I suppose, Paddy, there is a kind of a, a convention, as it were, that when something is still an ongoing investigation, you, you treat it with kid gloves on the basis that you don't want to be accused of prejudicing that in, investigation in any way. Well, indeed, but you can put on the one hand and on the other hand, and uh, you can report as a matter of fact that that the uh, that Leo has said, yes, I did pass on this document. Uh, yes, it was confidential. That there's no dispute about that. Um, it is an offence uh, unless there's circumstances we don't know about, which haven't been put forward. Um, and he has said that you know he, he didn't gain anything else. We didn't know he was committing a crime. Not knowing you're committing a crime is no defence. Um, uh, no gain. Well, Mahi O'Toole would regard it as a gain and did regard it as a gain. I'm, I'm using the legal language now. Um, and there's a peculiar little thing in in the DPP's uh, remit in terms of whether you prosecute somebody or not. The first is that you have enough evidence to have a reasonable prospect of conviction. And the second is that that such a prosecution will be in the public interest. Uh, Not many people know that. (laughs) But one wonders what's holding up a decision. It's, It's not that complicated and it's now eight months since Leo was interviewed by the guards in pursuit of a criminal investigation. Mm. Fascinating. I mean, 
what's going on behind the scenes? What what's there to know? I, I suspect you're already keeping uh, several columns vacant in the Phoenix for 2022 <laughs> to, to to follow on from this. Well, we we wrote about it at some length in September, um, putting all the points I've just made to you and, and a couple more. Um, but there's just this pregnant silence. I mean, I have no idea whether they're going to prosecute him or not, or whether it's the basis for a prosecution. What we do know is that eight months is a long time mm-hmm. to consider a relatively simple uh, possible prosecution. And what's holding it up? Yes, and no doubt that's a question for answering it in the new year. Another one to touch on, Paddy, uh, that we haven't so far would have been the schools and the handling of the whole education department during the, the pandemic, because it's a mess, to be quite frank about it. Um, I wouldn't claim to be an expert on restrictions, um, the pandemic, uh, and the whole issue of children. My children have grown up, so... Mm. <laughs> but I get the impression, every now and again, people say it's a mess, the government's... Um, you know, they say one thing, then they do another, then they say another thing, and so on. I very often feel that the pandemic is a mess. Trying to solve it is, mm. is um, sometimes a mess, because you don't always get it right. And uh, what I would say is that I would regard the row between Leo Varadkar and uh, Chief Medical Officer Houlihan uh, about a year ago, Mm. maybe 13 months ago, when Houlihan seemed to have been put in his box by Leo Varadkar at the time. Um, I think that was the biggest mistake Leo Varadkar ever made, uh, politically speaking, because if you look at the stats for approval ratings after that, um, the chief medical officer's ratings were a multiple uh, of, of, Mm. um, of most of the political leaders. Do, do you think they're still as high? Do you think people still have the same regard for Dr. Houlihan as they did this time last year? I would say that nobody who's in the public eye battling with pandemic would have quite as high a rating as they used to have, um, which would be a natural reflection of, if you like, of the frustration of the population. Um, but I would certainly say that the balance would still be with... Um, with uh, with the chief medical officer. Yeah. We haven't mentioned the Greens and we haven't mentioned Sinn Féin. Uh, they both had an interesting year for different reasons. What highlights would be there for you? I think the highlights for Sinn Féin are simply the poll ratings. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you look at, at where they came in and the election uh, was uh, oh, 24.5%, which within a fall, 22.2%, and and again on 20, roughly speaking, I think um, that, that's really accurate. Um, but since then, after a huge surge for Fine Gael, when the first six months or so of the pandemic, um, Sinn Féin's ratings have just gone up and up and up. Mm. And, uh, and uh, you've got to be careful about polls, I know, but if you look at the sort of, I don't know, 30, 40 polls taken in the last year and a half, two years, then there's, it's, there's only one trajectory for, fin, for Sinn Féin, and that's up and up and up. And there's only another trajectory for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, and that's down. Now, I think an awful lot of it's to do with 
Fianna Fáilers, who are very disappointed with Micheál Martin for looking as if he doesn't mind being eclipsed by Leo Varadkar. Mm. But housing, Fianna Fáil demanded the housing brief. They demanded uh, that because they wanted to prove, you know, they thought that was the political route back. Now, it kind of ain't happening as yet, um, and that could turn out to be a serious mistake. Do you think that given the rise of Sinn Féin in the polls, that the three government parties, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gill and the Greens, they will do anything in their power to stick it out, to avoid having to face Sinn Féin at the polls, given ratings like that? Oh, I do. I think they will hold out in government for as long as they possibly can. Uh, the, the, the only downside to that is sometimes the longer you stay in, the more unpopular you get. Uh, but I, I do think the tendency would be to, to try and stay in. I, I think the problem that creates for the two big parties is that there's a lot of anger after the last election uh, when the votes all, were all counted. That the, the vote for change, as some people argued it, statistically it was, it was kind of you know, on a knife edge, but resources in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael getting together, confirming the allegation of Sinn Féin that the two big, slightly conservative parties are all in it together against ordinary people. You can call that populist, you can call it accurate, you can call it inaccurate. Uh, but that feeling was underlined by the formation of the coalition. Hmm. And I think what's been happening since then also underlines this perception and of course Mary Lou and and the Shinners keep banging that drum, it's the Conservative Party is against ordinary people, we represent ordinary people and that simple some people would say simplistic but certainly basic arguments can be very telling mm. It's working for them so far whether or not it'll work for them at the polls, I suppose we'll have to wait until that day comes, that we could be plunged into a snap election in 2022, do you think? I, I really don't think so. I, th I think you'd have to drag Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and maybe even the Greens with wild horses to the polling booths uh, if things are as they are at the moment. Um, they need to get some measure of implementation on housing. They really, really need that. And mm. I don't see that happening in the next six or 12 months. Uh, I, I mean, they'll be lucky to get it done in three years. Uh, and they desperately need that to happen. I mean, of all the issues, that's the one. I mean, it won't be just one issue, but that would be the touchstone issue. Mm. Uh, if they can get a win on that, then, you know, they could survive and, and, and come back. I think it's doubtful, but I, but I don't know. I haven't got a crystal ball. You, you, you could see housing, pandemic or not, you, you could see housing as the rock they will perish on. Or, 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 or survive on, um, you know, depending. But, yeah, I do. I see that as the biggest one. There are others, but that's the biggest one. Inflation could become an issue. I, I just, I'm, just don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I just can't see them go to the polls in the next 12 months unless something absolutely appalling happens. I, I mean, I don't even see it happens. Let's, let's say, I don't expect Leo Varadkar to be charged. But if he was, let's say, I don't even see that coming, you know, pr provoking an election. I think the election leader very quickly and, and move on and, and continue. I just don't see an election in the next 12 months unless something I can't even think of or imagine happens. Well, that's the one I was going to come back to as the one that might bite them. You've answered it before I asked it. Paddy, thank you very much for being with me today.
a pleasure and thank you for having me. It's an event next Sunday. We're still getting events organised and run successfully, even with the restrictions that we now have to live with, which is great to see. Next Sunday, the 12th of December, this has gone on a while now. And Gabriel, how long is it since you've been running the uh, Christmas toy run? Good morning. Good morning, PJ and all your listeners. Um, Cork Toy Run, uh, that's the annual charity event for motorcyclists and or enthusiasts, um, has been running now for about 30 years. And um, I'm with the Shamrock Rose MCC, that's the Motorcycle Club, and we've taken it over about 10 years ago. So every year it's gotten bigger and better and bigger. It's just so brilliant, you know. But um, the thing is, is that, like, you know, we didn't have anything last year. We couldn't. So this year, as you said... No, we're coming back with the event, but we're doing things differently just to be safe and make everybody comfortable attending. Okay, so what happens? You leave the top oil in Cove Cross. What happens That's then? That's right. Yeah, we're congregating at the Top Oil in Cove Cross. Uh, that's just at the junction where you go over for, um, you know, fort on the right. We go to the left yeah. and there's a big warehouse down there. And um, the postcode is actually T45ED00. So we'll be gathering on Sunday morning from like 10.30am and we'll be leaving at 12.30 sharp. Now, we have a Garda escort and um, we will have the street fleet from 96FM and uh, we'll be travelling through Carritool up towards Middleton Roundabout and then coming back the dual carriageway and we will be driving down as far as the Dunkettle Roundabout. That's where, the, you know, you turn off at Glenmire. Sure. Yeah, but we'll be coming back back on the motorway again. Ah, so You, you know, used to come into coming, town, didn't you? Yeah, we we used to be able to go into town up to the Keys and, and up to the well and everything, and it was brilliant. But we, we can't. We can't congregate, you know, in large amounts and that, you know. So we're really we're really now at a loss of, of you know, having our indoor event, and, and mm. we raise a lot more money that way, you know, because we'd normally have an auction. I'm afraid we won't be having that this year, but we will be having a raffle and that, so we'll be selling tickets. Now, all the money that's going to be um, donated in that on the day uh, will go to the Children's Leukemia Association in Cork and we're, we're asking everybody who attends to bring with them an unwrapped gift uh, for a child or a teenager or even an adult any age at all it can be toys it can be vouchers it can be clothing it can be hampers anything at all really and they'll go then to uh, Cork Penny Dinners and they'll go to Bernardo's so we've been supporting them for a long time now, you know, and yeah. they attend on the day and everything, and there's, there's great Christmas cheer. We're, we're going to try and make the most of it, you know, although we really do have to be very careful about social distancing while we're going through the uh, warehouse while people are donating stuff at a table, you know, but we, we like that, we, we have the street fleet doing music, we, we'll also have another DJ, we will have an ambulance, we have SOS Recovery, and we have, let me try and I've seen it I've yeah. seen it before, I've seen oh. it come up to the well before and it's it's oh, a huge yeah. gathering that you have. It's huge. A, I mean huge. There's, there's an awful lot of fellas with motorbikes out yes, there. There is, and some guys only bring them out once a year just for the toy run, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, but yeah. it is for bikers and trikers. Now, if you want to come down in your car to carry tool and, and admire all the bikes, you know, bring something with you to donate. It, it's going to be great. Like, like at the best, the best year we had was 2019, and we had about 800 bikes with about 1,000 people, you know, with the tool pastures. So we're, we're hoping people will decorate their bikes and that they'll get dressed up as Santa or whatever. You know, make it fun. Now, to get a great view, if you want... You you know, people can go on any of the flyovers between Middleton and Dunkettle Roundabout and take amazing photographs. It'll be brilliant, you know. That's, It'll be that's a great idea, actually. So it's yeah. it's the top oil service station, Cove Cross, from yeah. half twelve. Be there early, yeah. leaving sharp, yeah. and then oh, back yeah. into the Dunkettle Roundabout and yeah. back out again. Yeah, and you see the bike kind of, you know, the bike parade sort of going down as you're coming back up on the other side, you know. But I, I have to stress, okay, that we really do want people to obey the marshals and the Garda, you know, there's no overtaking or anything. But we will stay to one side of the motorway so the cars sure. can pass on the right, you know. Okay. But um, DJ, we really appreciate this, you know, like to put it out there for us, you oh, know, no, and, and advertise it. And you do it every year. So fair play to you, you know, for looking after the people of Cork and the bikers. Yeah, well, I- <laughs> I, I, I have to look after you as well and all the records you sold me all those years ago. I know, I know. Really, yeah. I had to throw in your career really, didn't I? You did, you did, you did. <laughs> and listen, lovely to talk to you again and have a good event on Sunday. The Cork Christmas Toy Run. Bikers of Cork getting together at Cove Cross, the top oil station, leaving at half past 12, heading into the Dunkettle Roundabout and back out again and all proceeds going to the Children's Leukaemia the Penny Dinners and Barnardos. We'll tell you more about that again later in the week. And they are bringing the street fleet along for support and music and DJs and all done safely and all done in a COVID-compliant way. The Cork Christmas Toy Run coming up next Sunday. While I'm at it, might I remind you as well that uh, people are doing Christmas jumper days for Cork Simon. Uh, right up to Christmas. Again, trying to do them within whatever limitations we have. And Cork's 96 of M with Cork Simon asking you to host your Christmas jumper day however you feel safest in doing so. Do it in the office if you're still in the office. Do it at home if you're working from home. Online with your friends. Have a great big Zoom and put loads of them up on screen. And take all your pictures of your friends and family and loved ones in. Santa jumpers or Christmas jumpers. Just have a laugh with it. You can get a fundraising pack at corksimon.ie and you can join us at Corks 96 AM to help fight homelessness in Cork. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996 is the number. I want you to see, can we match that finding of the Kilkenny Design Survey? Uh, it's a huge finding of the one thing that matters most to us this Christmas. Claire, yeah, Claire and Dunmanway, you have it right. You have it right. It's a, it's a survey they do this pretty much every year. 
Um, they went said that 80% of the people they asked said that Christmas was their favourite celebration of the year. They also said 67% said the pandemic had changed their view about what's important. And only 4 out of 10 say that Christmas will be as normal for them this year, that they'll be taking the pandemic into account for the second year in a flipping row. Amazing the number of people who still buy. I do this and it sits practically unread on the coffee table for the two or three weeks, but I still do it at the, the Christmas RTE guide, the double issue. I don't know why I've been buying it since I was a kid, but I still do. Uh, Fists of Jumpers are popular. On the Christmas movies, uh, Home Alone, the clear favourite. Love Home Alone. Elf, Love Actually. No place in their list, actually, for Die Hard. The old argument of his Die Hard a Christmas. Of course, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's set at Christmas. There's no place in there either for my son's favourite one, which we will watch. <laughs> Much to his uh, mother's annoyance, but we will watch myself and himself. Bad Santa. Bad Santa is great, and Bad Santa 2 is even better. Not for the smallies. Home Alone with your favourite there. Little traditions like putting a candle in the window to welcome the visitor. That's 7 out of 10 people still doing that. Um, 6 out of 10 said if public health restrictions tighten up and they're not allowed to celebrate Christmas or they're told not to celebrate Christmas as normal, they would take heed of that and not do it. That's all come out today from Kilkenny Design. But what is that one thing that means most to people? one thing that means most to people this Christmas coming up. See, can you guess what it was? It should be fairly obvious. Plains the nose of your face. But uh, 083 396 96 96 if you can think of what it was. Actually, Fiona says she, <laughs> she watched Die Hard Friday night after putting up the tree, but nothing beats love actually. Yeah, I, I, you know, you should try and find Bad Santa for the crack when the small leads are gone to bed. You'll enjoy, Stephen Gordon will enjoy that. Also, there are, now, are there carol singers around this year? It was discouraged, actively discouraged last year. But are there carol singers around this year? Someone called to Fiona's house the other night singing carols. Is that still going on this year? Is it a, it's a lovely tradition, if they can sing. That doesn't really matter. But, yeah, has anyone seen carol singers yet? I haven't seen too many of them around the town or around the shopping centres. But, apparently they're calling to the front doors. 1850-715-996, lots to think about. I want to um, let you hear an interview that I did. I, I sp- first spoke to Hazel Larkin uh, a couple of years ago. Um, when we talked about difficult family relationships at Christmas... And pulling back from different difficult family relationships at Christmas. And it's about this time people start thinking about that with a couple of weeks to go. But Hazel has now set up her own online course for people recovering from childhood trauma like abuse. And I wanted to talk to her about that also. Uh, It's called, it's a trauma recovery. She's now a trauma recovery consultant and she runs a course specifically for parents who were abused as children. We caught up over the weekend for a chat. Hazel, you and I spoke 
a couple of years ago uh, about uh, difficulties with narcissistic mothers and particularly in the road to Christmas. I might come back to that. But I want to talk about sure. your, your new development, which is a consultancy in trauma recovery. Where did that come from? Yes. From my own experiences, um, to be honest, PJ, I have quite the traumatic background myself. I have a history of child sexual abuse. Um, I was abused within the home um, by members of my own immediate family. And I was later on then, as happens with so many people who are abused as children, they are often abused again in in later life whether that's as older children teenagers or adults and that certainly would have been my experience even you know I was married um, a few times um, and my relationships were abusive as well but it's it's having a difficulty first of all recognizing abuse before you're in the middle of it and also realizing that it isn't your fault because I know for many years I beat myself up thinking that I was the idiot who who was somehow attracting these people who wanted to abuse me and that was my own fault and of course it's not true but it took decades for me to realize that Mm. Um, and I also have um, as I would have said to you the last time we spoke I have a uh, I have a narcissistic mother and that brought its own difficulties as well. Um, so um, the consultancy and the work that I'm doing now has come about because of my own experiences and because of my academic work. Um, I have a, a, a degree in psychology. Um, I also have a degree in sexuality studies. I have a master's in sexuality studies. Mm. Then I went off and got a law degree. And my PhD is looking at um, transgenerational trauma and child sexual abuse. So I was talking to a friend of mine um, possibly just a week or so after I spoke to you last at the end of 2019. Um, and he also had uh, a history of child sexual abuse and he's a parent. And we were just talking over coffee about the fact that there are no services for people who are parents and who have a history of child sexual abuse. You know, the rape crisis centres don't offer um, a, a peer support programme or anything similar. So we looked around and couldn't find anything um, here or in the UK. So I decided it was time to invent my own. So I did. Um, I, I, I designed the course and I started running it in uh, February of last year. Mm. And I've run it about three times at this stage um, and with, with good outcomes. Come back to something you said there a little while back. You know that you went from uh, abuse at home and then into relationships that were abusive. And you made a point that we sometimes look at the person and we say, God, they keep attracting trouble on themselves. That's the wrong attitude entirely, I think. Oh, it is. It's another form of victim blaming. Um, I, I explain it to people kind of slightly simplistically when I say that as children, we were dependent on our parents and other adults around us who should have been minding us. Um, and sometimes that can include older siblings, because as, as you know, yourself in Irish families, there can be quite the gap between older siblings and younger siblings. Um, and we we learn that in order to be safe, Um, we need to suppress our instinct that is telling us this is dangerous and this is wrong. Mm. And it's what they call trauma bonding, which is when you kind of, which is, I suppose, a a more clinical term for Stockholm syndrome, which is where you literally kind of bond with the person who's causing you the trauma, which makes for a very confused little person. 
Does the trauma possibly, Hazel, become the norm in that the person who had an abusive relationship with somebody and got out of it mm-hmm. seems to manoeuvre themselves into another abusive relationship for some reason we, none of us can explain. Does the trauma become a normal? Well, I think what happens is because we've suppressed our, our intuition, that then when we find ourselves in, in situations where somebody else's intuition would be screaming at them, we don't recognize that. Mm. We as, as, as abuse survivors, we, we don't even hear it. So part of the work that I would do would be actually tuning back into your instinct and knowing what it sounds like um, and how it feels in the body. Because for so many of us who've been abused, our bodies are not... They don't feel like home. They're, we don't live in them necessarily all of the time. So we don't we don't always feel what's going on in our own bodies, yeah. which sounds a bit daft to somebody who doesn't have, have that experience. But I know that every trauma sur- survivor is nodding along to the radio right now sure. going, I know what she means. Um, so it's it's. It, So, yes, in a a sense, yes, trauma does become the norm. But I would and I know you haven't said this, but there is um, a suggestion sometimes in in self-help books or or in, you know, pop psychology that that somehow we um, we we accept it. We we accept difficult uh, relationships um, because we 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 come to view it as normal. And uh, yes, we do. But there's also um, a notion of not having a sense of self because uh, and of self-worth because that has been taken from us from such a year, an, an early age that we don't realise that we deserve any better, even though we might come to a, a realisation that this doesn't feel like a supportive relationship. But I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what a supportive relationship looks like. Mm. So I don't know how to find one. Yeah, that's the only relationship they know how to have sometimes mm-hmm. yes and it's not that it's familiar so that's why we stay there because it's comfortable it's not it's very uncomfortable but we've got very used to making excuses for other people to um to under to to navigate in trauma we're good at looking at relationships and going how do i make the most of this for myself how do i sell this to myself so i can live with it because we were doing that as children mm. we were in relationships where we weren't being supported and loved and treated with kindness so we kind of fooled ourselves into thinking that we could that, that we could navigate that, that we could manage that. Mm-hmm. And we made the most of it. You know, for some people, they took up sport. For other people like me, I was a bookworm. I still am. Um, so I would escape into books. And, and that became my preferred reality, if you like. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, the difference between reality and, and non-reality and, and fantasy um, that line can be blurred for us because it's a more pleasant place to be, you know. So half the time when I was maybe five or six or seven, in my head I was a princess because that's what I was reading about in books and that just seemed preferable. So I would just live my life in my head as a princess. Of course, there are some that might say that I still do act as if I'm a princess on occasion, but yeah, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a sad way to live as a little girl, isn't it? There was tremendous sadness. Yes, there really was. Um, And I can see that now and have tremendous compassion for that little girl who had such a hard time of it. And because for a long time, I could, and and I mean, until my mid thirties, probably, I would have been very hard on myself and I would have thought that there was something wrong with me and that 
I suppose I bought into the just world theory a little bit, you know, the idea that we all get what we deserve. So if something terrible had happened to me, then I must have deserved it. Mm. And of course, now I can reject that for the crock it is. But it took me a long time to do that. Um, and I know that that parents who have people, p- people who have histories of, of sexual abuse, and then when they become parents, it, even if they've they've dealt with their trauma as much as they possibly can they've been for counseling they've done all the and i'd say this carving air quotes into the air the right things to heal themselves that when you have a child or when you are about to become a parent that can be hugely triggering because it it can be very frightening the idea that you're bringing a child that you very much want Mm. into a world that you're not sure you can keep them safe in. So the idea that you're about to become a parent or you have just become a parent can be very traumatic for people. Um, I know that for some of the men that I've worked with, they found it very difficult around issues of bathing and toileting their children, even though they mean absolutely no harm. They're worried that somebody else might think that they might harm their child or that they might suddenly be taken over by the demon um, that took over the, the, the person who loved them, who abused, or the, the person that they loved who abused them when they were little. Um, and, it, and also even sometimes if you're, if you manage to get through the pregnancy and the birth, both either, you know, as, as a parent of either sex or gender, um, that you realize that that it, what's what's what upsets you or what triggers you or sometimes what starts the c- cascade of memories is when your child gets to the age that you were when you were first yeah. abused and you realize how tiny and defenseless they are does it sometimes happen that a person fears that they could have it within themselves to hurt that beautiful child in the way that they were hurt yes I have come across that. I have come across people who have been terrified even to seek help for those kinds of 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 thoughts because they're afraid that if they seek the help that they think they need, social services will swoop in and take their children for them because from them because they've identified themselves as a monster. And we can look at unpacking those and just say, well, actually, that that fear is there as a warning. Um, as as an awareness, it's not it's not saying that this is within you. It's saying, my goodness, this is within people, and and it's showing you. It's like having a waking nightmare. It's showing you the absolute worst thing that you can imagine. But then you've got to come back to yourself and kind of go, actually, do you know what? That's just my imagination. That's not a feeling or an intention I have. And your course, then, it's twelve weeks, and is it these kind of things that you teach or discuss? How does it work? It's it's probably more like a workshop um, because everybody shows up to do some work. I don't I don't stand at the top of my Zoom classroom because they're not, we've moved online like the rest of the world, um, and and you know uh, pontificate so much. It is very much a it, it's a peer group. So what we have is every week has a theme. So we we go through everything from actually identifying what trauma is and how it can affect us, um, looking at things like anger, guilt, shame, sex, you know, how to, because as, as adults, we would quite like to have healthy sexual relationships. And sometimes, oftentimes, sexual abuse can be a barrier to that. So we have frank discussions mm. about, about you know, sex and, and how to reclaim our sexuality. Um, anger, shame, um, de- dealing with your child when they are exhibiting behavior that that is, you know, not conducive to a happy home life and and work you know and and dealing with all the parenting issues that everybody has 
but with the understanding that as parents who come from from a history of child sexual abuse, there's an added layer often of discomfort or of concern or of guilt or over our how we approach our children. So what we do is we meet for two hours um, and there is a, a, a discussion of the theme. And then because there is a bit of a teacher in me, I have to admit, I send everybody <laughs> off with homework, um, which is which is optional because I don't want to reinforce the idea of telling people what to do because people with trauma have been told for too long by other people what to do. So the homework is optional but encouraged. Yeah. Um, and that will be worksheets that support what the the work that we've done in the in the two hour session um, and then I check in with people during the week just to see how they are because a week can be a long time between sessions when you're dealing with stuff you know so and then the day before our following the day before the next meeting I, I send out um, an email with an overview and an agenda because I again I don't want to bring spring surprises sure. on people but I don't want to give them all the information ahead because then you're thinking a week ahead, what am I doing next week? Whereas what I'm trying to do is encourage people to stay, stay in the moment, stay in the now, stay in this week, focus on this week's work and we'll talk about next week. Next looking week. looking at the various topics like shame, compassion, anger, grief, self-image, trust. There must, I suspect, come a point for most participants where they realise, oh, I'm not on my own. Now, I'm sure that moment came in your life. So you know how much that means. Yes, I do. And it's so marvelous. That is one of the things that I absolutely love about the work that I do. It is being able to hold space for people to say, I'm, I'm not the only one. Every participant who has, who has taken, who, who has done this work with me has said that they have disclosed things in our group that they have never said to anybody, not their spouse, not a not a parent, not a therapist, anybody. And I, I'm very honoured um, that we that we can create a space where people feel safe um, and know they won't be judged. I think that's a huge element of of what we of of what this course brings and provides is the absolute lack of judgment. You can say whatever you like hmm. um, about you know how you feel about your abuser, how you feel about the abuse, how you've act, how you've maybe acted or reacted in anger to something that somebody has said to you, um, and it is entirely confidential. With the usual caveats, obviously that that if I if there is a disclosure that somebody is a, a threat or a danger to themselves or others, I have a duty of care yeah. to to report that to the to to the authorities. You are bound by mandatory reporting, and it's important to point that out. Yeah. Yes, I am. But but also, you know, as a concerned citizen, I would feel it would be my duty course, also to 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 do that. You know, the same as 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 most people. Um, but then afterwards, of course, because twelve weeks, you know, twenty four hours is a long time to spend with people and then disappear from their lives and and not necessarily have that support anymore. So what we what I also offer then is um, a Facebook page. It's it's secret and it's private, which means that you can't search for it. You can only join if I give you the link. Um, so that, and that's a, you know, that's, that's not a control freaky thing. That's a, that's a gatekeeping thing to oh, make yeah. sure that it's only, only people who, who have a reason to be there actually show up on the page. Um, and it's for safety reasons. Um, and because it's private, it doesn't show up in the groups that you're part of. Sure. Nobody, nobody can see that you're involved and, and that's exactly. it, as it should be. Yeah, I'll give out the details exactly. afterwards, Hazel, of where people can maybe find out more about the sure. course. But can we come back to where we talked first in 2019? Because yes. we're coming up to 
to Christmas. And there are relationships that are just problematic and they become even more problematic at Christmas. And, and your own experience was you just absented yourself. That in itself is difficult. Yes, it is, because it was the last thing I wanted to do, um, because I thought that a mark of a successful person was somebody who had good relationships with their with their family of origin. And I thought that it was on me to make that work. And it was only when I was in therapy, and I think it was probably about 35, so that's 10 plus years ago, um, that I, I suddenly sat up in the chair and went, oh, my God, it's not me. It's them. Yeah. So yes, I did. Um, I, I, you know, sent an email and just said, I, I, until I get through this current block of therapy, I can't have contact with you, and I'll be in touch as soon as I, as soon as I can. And of course, that day has not come, because I've realised how much better, how much healthier I am. I've been um, what we call no contact with my family now for over ten years, and it's great. For anybody who is, and we're only a couple of weeks out. For anybody who is contemplating making that break this Christmas, not going to that gathering that they dread even before they go, any words of advice? Yes, be gentle with yourself, first of all. Um, and don't feel that you have to do make the break all in one go. You know, you can go from having regular or full contact to just going low contact. And that can sometimes be easier. It's a step down where you kind of say to yourself, OK, I'm, I'll, I'll show up for Christmas dinner because of all the reasons, um, but I will only stay until seven. Hmm. Or I'll only stay until four. I, I put your boundaries in place and then say it to whoever the person is, you know, we'll say your mother, just say, mother, I'll be there for lunch. Thank you very much. But we will have to leave at three or at four or, at seven, or whatever time you decide and stick to it. And if you have a partner and your partner is going with you, tell them that plan as well and tell them to back you up and to literally drag you out at, at whatever time you said you've had to leave and for them to accept to be the bad guy in, in that situation for one afternoon. Yeah. Or you could use COVID as an excuse. I've, I've come across a lot of women who are seeing the, the silver lining to the COVID cloud because they can say, look, mum, you're old. Um, I haven't had my booster it's best if I stay away because Jesus, I'd never forgive myself if I gave you something. Your gifts are in the post. It's it's a little manipulative, but I can see how it would serve a purpose. Well, <laughs> you do what you have to do. The other thing is that I do run a, a, a group for, for daughters of narcissistic mothers and we have a Zoom every month and on other difficult days. So I will have a Zoom um, for daughters of narcissistic mothers on Christmas Day um, for people to just drop in and say hi and, on Christmas you know, day I, itself I had, on Christmas day itself yeah I had a woman last year zoomed in from America from the bathroom of her mother's to say she's driving me mad she's driving me mad I can't stay long but I just wanted to tell you because I knew you'd understand um, and that was all she needed just 10 minutes with a few other daughters of narcissistic mothers on a zoom all nodding going we get you and then she was able to guard her loins and go back in again for another two hours <laughs> so all of that information is on my website I know this is a difficult topic of conversation, Hazel, but I, and I almost am afraid to use the word, but I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. Ah, good. That, that's, that's, that's good to hear because it's, you know, I deal with difficult things, but I, I think that every trauma survivor has got through it because we've developed a little bit of black humour. So um, if that brings a smile to people's faces, I'm only delighted. Hazel, thank you.
Thanks so much. Thank you, PJ. You'll find uh, her information and more of it on Facebook. Best place to start looking for her is Hazel Catherine Larkin. Catherine with a K. Hazel Catherine Larkin on Facebook. And all of the links are there to the course and to the Zoom and all of that. 1850 I must. There must be loads of people kind of having that awkward conversation or not looking forward that awkward few hours with someone that you kind of, oh my God, why do we have to do this? There's advice there from Hazel. Thank you. 1850 All right, one more blast of this before the break and then we want your entries and we want your answers and we will ask you to hang around because you have to answer the phone to win this prize. We'll ring someone. You have to answer the phone to win the prize. It's two tickets to see Elton John live at Parky Cueve on the 1st of July, thanks to Aiken Promotions. What is the name of this Elton John song? Hold on a while now, it would help if to switch it on, wouldn't it, Paige? What is the name of this Elton John song? Do you want it one more time? See, this Monday and I'm feeling in a good mood. Your name and the name of the song, 83 96 96 and stay by your phone. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. A message from someone who was listening to Hazel. Uh, my family have hurt me so much over the years. I just cut myself out. Gradually, and I am so much the better for it. Thanks for that. 1850-715-996. I'll be joined by Met Aaron shortly, Liz Walsh uh, from Met Aaron, to get an update on Storm Barra, which we now know is going to be a very, very nasty one uh, tomorrow. So we get an update from Met Aaron before the end of the show. But as always, because my children have grown up now and they're in their 20s, uh, I come across crazes and trends in parenting that I know nothing about, but look great. And I kind of wonder, why weren't they around when I was trying to, you know? Um, And a trip trap chair. A what, PJ? A trip trap chair. Laura Erskine, what is it? Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. Yes, a trip trap chair. It's an unusual name. Um, and and uh, it comes from a Norwegian brand, Stocky. It's it's actually a chair that you invest as a as a new parent for life. Believe it or not, its really unique design means that it takes um, a child from infancy, right from like the newborn baby stage, all the way through to adulthood. It's been tested on adults weighing up to 136 kg, so it can really be used. Um, all the way um, as a sustainable buy, all the way through from infancy right through to adulthood. It's um, and it's available from all leading baby stores, including from the, the the stocky website itself. So I think if you work out the the cost per uh, per use, you'd be down in the negative cents per day, yeah. um, the amount that you're going to use this. Because TikTok is full of hacks at the moment about how to turn everything from an ironing board to an upturned door into different space so you can get all the kids around. Because high chairs, I mean, we had two of them going, like, high chairs are a nuisance. <laughs> they get in everybody's they can way. Be. 
<laughs> they can be and that's why the this this was designed um you know so that it it actually became a chair for for life um and and it didn't have the legs that people would be tripping over that it was more of a hindrance around the home especially you know uh, as we're trying to adapt our homes to to meet all of 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 children's you know growing toys and equipment right through from the baby stage all the way through to the primary school years and there's just sometimes so much stuff and mm. um, so this chair is brilliant and and you know i think we're all looking at um ways that we can get our extended family around the dinner table and as you mentioned tiktok is one uh, social media platform that likes to share hacks um with its users mm. so uh, one of the ones that we were looking at there was you know you have you've seen people taking literally taking the door kitchen door off the hinges in order to create a tabletop yeah. um, you've got people bringing their garden furniture into the house in order to create no. extra seating i have to confess Christmas. laura we did that we did that <laughs> a few christmases ago we had a, a, a table out in the patio and for a big yeah. occasion that table came in now that might sound easy but that blasted table had to be dismantled to get it in and I was the poor bugger had to dismantle it and here's the best bit we realised about 11 o'clock one Christmas day we were going to need it so I was out at the cold and the wind and the rain <laughs> with a that's, hangover that's exactly what happened with a oh, hangover no. <laughs> so this yoke this thing so you buy one of these things and it suits the tiny baby the older child right up to adulthood exactly are they, are they an awful uh, price they're, they're not, absolutely not. I mean, you can buy a trip trap chair and it's solid wood and it's made from sustainable wood at, at that um, from both beech and oak. There's two different um, wood choices and then there's lots of, of various colour options. Um, and uh, it's in and around €200, Euro, uh, depending on, on where you buy it. There's lots of specials going on at the moment with mm. Black Friday and Christmas specials and Cyber Monday and all of that that are continuing on throughout the month of, of December. So you can get one in and around for one at the moment and then you can buy a few accessories uh, to to make it adaptable from the baby all the way through to uh, to an older child. And the, the beauty of this is that, you know, because it's suitable for an adult too, it means that if you are going to be feeding children first when it comes to Christmas Day, you can do that and then use that same high chair for an adult seat later <sighs> on. And that's simply by swapping out the seat that you use for the, the baby with the footrest um, and swapping it uh, upside down really uh, for um, for an adult and so I suppose what we're trying to say is that it's something that can be used all around the house it can and be I, used I, as, I, a, as a chair not, for a study or an office I have not yet met the child Laura Erskine that couldn't break water they could break iron can they break this no, as as I said, it's been tested for up to 136 kg and it's topple proof. So as, as your toddler gets more independent and wants to climb up and down on the seat themselves, you know, it, they can do that. And what's really important is that it's ergonomic. So even whether you're um, a toddler or an adult, you can adjust the seat height. So you're sitting perfectly right. um, at the table at the right height. And if you're a toddler, you do need to have your feet resting on the footplate in order so that you're 
stable um, when you're eating. And, and I think the thing that we're learning now is that, you know, inviting our children and our babies to be at the dinner table, it's where they learn to yeah. eat. It's how we yeah. prevent all of these fussy eating. And there are greatest mimics. I only watched my three-year-old watch me use a soup spoon to twirl the spaghetti um, Ooh, yesterday. That was messy. And then oh, she, that was she, messy. And she did. She copied the same thing. Oh. And she was just watching and learning. And it's really? so surprising to see just how much they learn, even from, from the baby mm-hmm. stage by, by watching us adults. Speaking of food, tell me about these recipes. Oh, listen, there are some uh, Trip Trap have, have um, actually teamed up with um, Siobhan Berry of Mummy Cooks, um, an Irish mum of, of two children who who has her own uh, weaning and child-friendly uh, recipe um, website. And and through that, she's, she's created some... Uh, some really baby-friendly and child-friendly, fussy-eating-friendly Christmas recipes to get everybody involved in Christmas dinner. So that's everything from baby gravy right through to Brussels sprouts and pea puree, which really is using the, the really the smaller sprouts, which are sweeter, and the bigger sprouts are more bitter, and mixing them with your petit pois and a little bit of uh, of flat leaf parsley means that actually it's a much sweeter recipe it's much more palatable baby seasonal stu- stuffing yes but this is it and making sure that there's not too much salt in the recipes yeah. which we know isn't good for, for children um, and then there's some nice recipes around uh, just making gingerbread cookies together which is a nice thing to do um, even whether you're, you're making them for, for mm. Santa Claus on Christmas Eve and it's a lovely family activity and you'll find all of those recipes on mummycooks.com All right, good talking to you, Laura. And if I don't speak with you again this side of Christmas, have a good one, yourself and your family. Thank you very much. Cheers. That's Laura Erskine uh, with Baby Doc Club. The Trip Trap Chair. Might be a present for someone who's due to have a baby around the Christmas time. Might be a good present for them. 1850-715-996. Yeah, Claire's got the Christmas tradition that was the most important to people. She's got it right. D, you're not wrong. Well, you're not right, but you're not wrong either. I love a box of lemons, seasons, greetings. It really portrays what Santa looks like. And I love the variety of sweets. I have lovely memories of gazing at the box, waiting patiently for Christmas Day to be allowed to open it. That's a nice memory. That is a very nice memory. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Okay, so we've a status orange wind warning for Cork, Kerry, Clare, Limerick and Galway, operating by Metairn. Some speculation that Kerry may actually be upgraded to a status red, but that's not happened yet. We also have a marine warning of status red, violent storm warning from Mizzenhead to Loophead. It looks like a bad one coming in the shape of Storm Barra. Liz Walsh is meteorologist with Met Erin and she joins me. Liz, how bad is this going to get? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, well, this is this is a, a doozy, um, like you know, by any stretch of the imagination. So, Storm Barra is out in the Mid Atlantic, and it still hasn't gone through its deepening phase yet. Um, it's still around kind of about 800 nautical miles southwest of uh, Greenland. And you can see the cloud head now beginning to emerge um, on the satellite um, out in the North Atlantic. That's going to race towards us um, between now and tomorrow morning. And it's going to arrive kind of near the Galway um, 
Galway Bay area around uh, 12Z. So that's, sorry, midday on Tuesday. Um, so what that means, though, is like because um, Cork and like, you know, the southwest Clare, Cork and Kerry are on the southeast quadrant of that low pressure, you know, where the centre of the low is, that's where the strongest winds are going to be. Right. Um, so tomorrow morning, going to be quite quite a morning um so so basically there'll be very heavy rain coming through but it'll be it'll be over quite um early so there'll be spot flooding around um, but i think the, the rain will be well clear of the county and um, by 9 a.m and then there'll be these scattered squally showers coming through right. but that's when the winds will really kick in and it really depends on your exposure and um, like so if you're exposed to a southwesterly you'll think that the winds are strongest earlier in the morning but the winds will gradually as you go through the day are going to um, veer around to the northwest. So if you're exposed to a northwesterly, you'll feel those winds are the strongest. Then, I would say that this is a strong, the strong end of the of the orange level. Is it um, for for yeah? It's it's um like you know like there's some you know it's a, this is a, a rapidly deepening low. And what I mean by that, um, in meteorology, we call it explosive cyclogenesis. So um, that means that the pressure drop in the low um, drops 24 hectopascals in 24 hours. Right. This low is dropping double that. It's yeah. doubling. And that, of course, that. in layman's terms, so, isn't yeah. it, Liz, when the, when the pressure drops, that allows the, the storm in. It does. It does. It, it, it like it's basically the the air gets sucked out of it, and, and you get um, wind yeah. rushing in to replace the air that's been sucked out, and so you get very strong winds, yeah. and it spins up like a spinning top. So you see all the isobars, um, mm. you know, going really close together, and that means really strong winds. Straightforward and question, so, Liz. I'm not too mm-hmm. sure. Is there a straightforward answer? Is there risk to life and property here? Um, yes, I would say so. Um, like certainly, especially um, if you're out in the West Cork area, um, like, you know, batten down the hatches, um, please try and stay inside and um, don't make unnecessary journeys um, mm. is, is what I'd be advising. This is a sustained, this will be a sustained period of strong winds, um, you know, for, for, for the Cork region. Um, you know, it's not so sustained in other parts of the country. I mean, because the, the low is actually tracking right over Ireland. And um, if you're actually in the centre of the low, the winds can be quite light. But if you're um, to the south of the yeah. low, and especially to the south of the eye of a hurricane, low, really, isn't it? Yeah, like it's it is like I mean, but of course we don't get you know it's not a hurricane; it's a North Atlantic um, depression. I understand. No, no, I'm just but, using them very just, much. Them, but, but they are they are just as vicious. Yeah, well, there, there you go. The, the most vicious thing we can remember passing over us in in many a long day was Ophelia. Will, will this be anything like that? Yeah. Well, Ophelia was a, a different beast in that it was a tropical, oh, yeah. you know, it was an extra tropical, you know, it, it uh, was a tropical cyclone and then, um, you know, became extra tropical. So this is actually originated out over, um, you know, eastern Canada and it's been picked up by the, by the jet stream and moving across the North Atlantic. So it's kind of a different dynamic, but it, what I, it will be very gusty. Right. Um, like, you know, and yeah, there's certainly um, red level uh, gusts in the coastal areas okay. Um, like even even along the south coast, you know, the Cork Harbour area and especially, you know, early in the morning when there's a southeasterly just to watch out for a coastal flooding there okay. and that there could, that, that could happen there as well. Okay. Um, but coastal flooding, de- keep away from the coast as well, um, along the west coast as well. well um, so, what yeah, what it, wind speed could we expect, say, here in the city? Um, in the city, like, I mean, like, definitely, like, the, it will reach orange at times. Um, right. So, like, I, I'm thinking, uh, just kind of, you know, you could see gusts um, in excess of 120 kilometres right. per hour um, tomorrow afternoon. 
Right. But it's, it's, the fa- it's the fact that this is such a sustained period. Yes, it's going to be there. For, it's going to be with us for a while. It's not going to, it's yeah, not going to blow yeah. through. It's going to yeah. stay. For, uh, they're very worried, I know, down in West Cork, down around Bantry, that kind of area of the guards flooding. Yeah. Yeah, um, you, like it's more a coastal coastal flooding because because um, like the rain moves through quite quickly, but it will be very heavy, um, and it's like it's high intensity rainfall. So you know it'll drop a good drop in six hours, but then it'll be gone. Yeah. So it's like twenty to thirty millimeters in six hours, but then moved through, and it's after that you get these squally heavy showers. Yeah. So there could be some spot flooding, but it's it's this is more of a wind event really. Yeah. Um, and a, and a coastal uh, coastal high waves event. We we do have so, yeah, spring tides as well, yeah, though, so which would complicate matters. That's that's true, but I think um, it, the the surge isn't coinciding with the high tide, so there might be some mitigation there um, um, as far as that. But but it's still going to be there. There will be coastal flooding. I mean, okay. there there has to be um, okay. with this. But yeah, not to be ignored. Be careful. Sure. The trees will be down. <laughs> like and I know so, you guys. You guys are updating that. your information by the hours. So just keep an eye on your website. Yeah. We are. Keep it. Keep an eye. There. There. Like there'll probably be updates this afternoon. Um. You know. Like I think a rainfall warning is coming, and um. There may be updates to um. The 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 counties that are in the the orange level um warnings. There there may be updates um this afternoon. Okay. So listen. Thank you. Very comprehensive. Thank you very much, Liz Walsh, meteorologist with Metair, and it's a nasty one, and it's coming our way. So. We have an orange warning for County Cork, for Clare, Kerry, Limerick from very early tomorrow morning, right through the day. There will be very heavy rain in the morning to start, followed by winds all day long, right across the county. Down west, there is a marine red warning. That's offshore red. Very, very bad day ahead tomorrow. And as she said, a possible risk to life and property. So be very, very careful. On a lighter note, do I have someone on the phone? The phone? The on the Patricia, do you want to go to see Elton John? Yes. You do. Right. What's the name of the song? Tiny Dancer. Tiny Dancer. Who will you bring to the park with you? Uh, I don't know yet. <laughs> 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 well, listen, you've got the tickets sorted thanks to Aiken Promotions, all right? Great. You're heading off on the 1st of July to see Elton John live at uh, Parky Cueve. We have a pair of those tickets every day this week and another song for you to guess uh, tomorrow morning. Speaking of songs, all the Christmas songs you ever wanted, streaming at the moment on Cork's 96. I had fun there myself over the weekend. All your favourite Christmas hits streaming non-stop with Bridgestone and Desi's Tires, Blackpool, Little Island, Carrig Line and Vickers Road. Great deals for almost 40 years. Desi's Tires now open seven days. Listen on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. UG tells us that Jupiter, Saturn, Venus and the Moon will all be visible to the naked eye tonight from around half four. Uh, looking south-southwest in direction. Now he says the Moon itself won't be very well lit up tonight, but much better lit up tomorrow night. Thank you, Eugene. Uh, Facebook page is Astrology, or is it Astronomy? Which is it? Astronomy for the vaguely interested. Thanks, huge. Oh, busy day. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.